Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Very pleasant. Good afternoon to all of you. We're glad you're here. If you're online, we're glad that you're online looking, watching us with what we're doing in the book of Romans. Introduced the book of Romans last week and uh, announced we would start in chapter one this week. I have Romans 1 1 FF. That means the verse is following. I don't know how far we'll get. And the other verses are verses I'll refer to, and the reason I have them on the, on the uh, chart there is so you will know after I say it one time, you can look it up without having to try to remember what it is. Um, I only have three slides. Well, I have this one and one other. So I'm not a PowerPoint man. I'd like to have Bill Eads on my team, but I don't have him here yet. He did a super job on his PowerPoints. But anyway, uh, I'll try to stick with the subject. Book of Romans is an extremely wonderful book. It's a difficult book, but it's very wonderful. It was really the, the book in the Bible that began the Re- Reformation movement with Martin Luther and with John Calvin back in the early 16th century, early to middle 16th century. Uh, they, John, uh, Martin Luther especially was very skilled in the Greek language. And he, as a Catholic priest, began to see things in the book of Romans that he had never thought about. Salvation in Christ, for example, uh, through faith. And he started to preach that and teach that and almost got killed by the existing church because of that. He was very uh, very dedicated to the cause and uh, proceeded with it. Did he get to the truth? I don't think so. Uh, but he got far away from what was to be the Roman Catholic Church was and is a religion based on works, on how much I can achieve, how many times I can say Hail Mary, uh, how many times I can kiss the Pope's big toe, whatever. Uh, that is not salvation. And Martin Luther came to believe that and rebelled against it. Several years ago, I published a book called For the Love of a Child, written by a good Christian lady. It was about a woman who met a preacher and he converted her. And uh, they finally married and then adopted a child. It's a novel. And when it came to the plan of salvation, it was very brief. It talked about uh, her coming to a a saving faith, etc. and so forth. And I called her. I said, uh, I don't think this is sufficient for what you're trying to say. She said, well, I've submitted this to two other publishers. I had the plan of salvation fully in there. And uh, they rejected it on that basis. I said, I reject it because it's not in there. And she wrote a wonderful uh, presentation of what it takes to be saved and did it in a very wonderful way. And we published the book. It's a great book, incidentally. But I'm making a short story long because a customer had bought the book. I don't remember who the lady was. She wrote and said, this is a wonderful book until she goes and departs from the Roman way and I quit reading it and will not recommend it to anybody else. 
She departed from the Roman way because she taught faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. And everyone in those Romans does not teach that. How crazy can we be? I didn't even respond to her letter. I just said to Peggy, there's a lot of trash out there. This is not trash. This is truth. Just let her go, please. Salvation by faith, yes. But salvation by only belief, absolutely not. Only believe is uh, is the saying of many, many, many preachers today. On a, in a radio sermon several years ago, I heard a man say, and he was basing this on Mark five thirty six. Jesus was uh, encountered by a man whose son was sick, and Jesus said, only believe, only believe. And he kept saying, only believe, only believe, over and over and over again. Went to the man's house, and of course the child was made well. And he said, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to be baptized. Only believe, only believe, only believe. And he said that so much, I said, he's going to fall into a trap somewhere. I'm going to listen to him. And I kept listening only believe, only believe. And then he finally concluded, said, you see, now the Bible teaches we just have to repent and believe to be saved. Where did he get repentance? Where did it come from? It had been only believe until now. Well, the whole point, most of those people believe that you must repent. Where do they get that? If it's only believe, where do they get it? Well, of course, the Bible clearly teaches it. And uh, why, why do they get it? Because uh, it's kind of easy. Why don't they get baptism? Because it contradicts everything that they ever thought about salvation. It is a work, they say. And I want to tell you something, friends. Whether you're in the church or not, I'll say this to you. So far as the work is concerned, repentance is a whole lot harder work than baptism. I've known alcoholics that have repented and I've seen it. I've seen them cry. I've seen them sweat. I've seen them move away from it. I've never seen anybody do that over baptism. Not only that, the person who is being baptized doesn't do any work at all. It's a total submission. Somebody to put him under the water. Well, I don't know exactly how I'm going to teach this course yet. You probably figured that out. But I'm going to do a lot of reading. And we're going to talk about things that I hope are very pertinent to the cause. I love the book of Romans. Do I understand it perfectly well? No, I don't. And I'll confess when I don't, but I love the book. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of Christ, which he promised before through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection of the dead. That is a hunk of words, beautiful words. Paul is a bond servant. He is a, he is a, he's a slave to Christ. I love slavery. I don't mind getting up and saying I'm Christ's slave. We ought to be Christ's slave. Deacons are Christ's slaves. Elders are Christ's slaves. Teachers are the slaves of Christ. Christians are the slaves of Christ. Our Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a big word. Do you define it? Well, it means owner. In fact, Lord in English means bread holder. A man who, if, if he's your Lord, 
He can hold your bread away from you. He can give it to you or take it away, whatever he wants to do. Incidentally, that's the reason a sharecropper used to have a landlord. He was totally in charge of them. And that's the idea that is here. Uh, he was born, seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The word power is going to be in here more than once. And it's, don't let that word trick you. It's the word from dunamis. We got a word dynamite from that. Preachers are glad to point that out. But it doesn't mean explosive power. It means the ability to do a job. An army has power to defeat the enemy. A construction crew has power to build houses. You wouldn't know that, of course, by looking around here. That's the power. That's the means of getting it done. That's the energy that it takes. And it's not an explosion, even though we have used it. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ, all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In my earlier days of teaching at West Huntsville, I would often ask the adult class, are you a saint? Raise your hand if you're a saint. And folks would raise their hands. Somebody has taught us that Christians are saints. A lot of people don't know that. But Christians are saints. And I love, again, Bill, I'm picking on you, I guess. I love his saints alive. I thought all saints were dead. No, no. Saints alive. If you're in Christ, you are sanctified, set apart for God to his purpose. First, I thank my God through Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I want you to look at a map for just a minute. I don't have it on there. It's too much trouble to do that. I want you to look at it right here. Here is, here is Italy. It's a boot, you know, coming down into the sea. And in the middle of Italy is Rome. What is east of Rome? Asia. What is south of Rome? Egypt. What is west of Rome? France, Spain, etc. They are the center of the world. And fairly close to the sea. So ships came in all time to their ports that are at the sea. Center of commerce. Center of thinking. Great men. Philosophers. And this is what Paul is talking about. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. In the gospel of his son... That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests by some means. Now, at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. I have underscored this phrase. I make mention of you always in my prayers. I was talking with a lady not long ago. In fact, she's a part of the family, uh, a cousin. And she's over in Georgia. I called her just to check on her. She and I were born the same year, grew up together. And she said, James, I pray for you every night. 
said, thank you. It means a lot to me. I remember a dear lady down near Birmingham. Her name was Bobby. Yes, she was all woman. Old enough to be my mother. Every time I'd go to see her, gospel meetings, so forth, she'd say, James, I pray for you every night. Thank you, Bobby. And then I was in Tennessee one time, and my phone rang, and her daughter-in-law called and said, James, Bobby died. First thing I thought of is no more prayers from Bobby. Means a lot to me. I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift. You may be established, that is, may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, it sounds like that, in fact, I've heard preachers say that the people of Rome, the Christians in Rome, had no spiritual gifts. And Paul wanted to go and impart some gift to them so they would have a spiritual gift. That's not what this text says. This text says, I want to impart a certain spiritual gift to you. I have no idea what it was. But a lot of these people in Rome had been on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and probably had spiritual gifts given to them. And according to Acts 8.18, that's on the board, you remember that when two apostles went down to Antioch from Jerusalem and Samaria, I'm sorry, from Jerusalem and Philip was preaching there, they laid hands on the people so they received the Holy Spirit. And then there was Simon, new convert, the magician, who saw that he was a fake and knew they were right and that's the reason he had obeyed the gospel. And then he offered them money that he would have that gift. Well, he couldn't have that gift in the first place. Only the apostles had that gift to put spiritual gifts onto people, to give them spiritual gifts. But more than that, he had a wrong attitude. And he was scolded. Your money perished with He offered the money. Your money perished with you because you think the gift of God can be purchased with money. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And here's a word some of you have heard, some of you haven't. The word is simony, Simon with a Y on the end. You know what simony is? It is the purchase of some position in the church for money that you might make a profit. And that happened greatly, greatly in the uh, restoration movement. Uh, Reformation movement and so forth. Happened in the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, those men made tons of money. It happened before then. It happened in the New Testament. We know by New Testament times. We know by secular history. I don't read of it happening in the Bible. But high priests in Jesus' time, long about there, sometimes paid money to serve and were appointed by the ruler. Not as they should have been appointed. It got real messed up. I don't know why God put up with it, but he did. Thirteen, I want you to be aware. I do, excuse me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. 
Notice he says, oh, other Gentiles. Most of the church in Rome was a Gentile church. There were Jews there, but most of them were Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. You know what a barbarian is? Somebody that can't speak Greek. That's what it was in those days. I remember, I remember as a lad walking uh, on the street in Huntsville. Huntsville used to be 10,000 population. Uh, around the square, you have T.T. T. Terry and Crystal Berger and First National Bank and so forth. That was Huntsville. But I was walking with my mother as a little boy, and we got behind three men, probably that worked at Redstone. They were from Japan. Funny, funny talking. I said, Mother, what are they doing? She said, they don't know what they're doing. She meant she didn't know what they were doing. But they were ignorant people. She thought. But of course they were probably scientists speaking in their language. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul was bent on going to Rome. We're going to get that a little more later in our study. But he intended to go to Rome. What's it going to cost him to go to Rome? It's going to cost him his life. He's going to pay for that with his life. Paul, I'm so sorry. Well, I'm not. I want to go to Rome. And I would give my life to go to Rome. Paul wrote the Roman letter. While he was in Corinth on his third missionary journey, we have to remember that he is writing something unique. Nothing like this had ever been written before. God gave him the job of doing that. He sailed into Ephesus, Cyprus, Tyre and Syria, Caesarea, and then in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 21, he goes to Jerusalem. The brethren there are saying, Oh, Paul, so glad to have you here. And we hear what you've been doing. And I want you to know, though, there's, there's a lot of people here in the church that are Jewish. And they heard that you've been teaching that circumcision no longer is necessary. And we feel like you must go and prove that you haven't been teaching that, you don't believe that, that you're messing up the law. You take these men who have a uh, pledge and you take them into the temple and pay their vows and then people will know that this is false communication for you. These are leaders in the church at Jerusalem. That is difficult for me to understand because Paul did it. I don't know that I don't believe he was saying he doesn't believe that. But he did what the elders and the leaders told him to do. And he was arrested for doing that, incidentally. He was arrested for going into the temple. And he was never a free man again until after he had served time in Rome. He was released probably for a little while. And uh, then came back and according to tradition, was put in a dungeon and finally beheaded. But 
anyway, uh, Paul dealt with Felix, Festus, Herod Agrippa, and in Festus, with Festus, down in Caesarea Philippi, Festus said, uh, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? There be judged before me concerning the things that these things. Paul had been in Jerusalem. He had already stood his time there. The people were not interested in hearing him. He knew they lay in wait to kill him. He was sent to Caesarea. And then after he's been there two years, Festus comes and says, Are you willing to go back to Jerusalem? And here, let me hear these things in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul was not willing to do that. And he said, uh, in Acts chapter 25, verse uh, 11, If I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. When he appealed to Caesar, that was it. Case closed. Nobody could say, no, 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 you can't appeal to Caesar. Any Roman citizen had a right to appeal to Caesar. And remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. He was born in Tarsus, which was a Roman town. Free man in Tarsus. Very unusual. And when he spoke those words, I appeal to Caesar, he could not back out. He didn't want to back out. Why had he not appealed to Caesar already? Why didn't he appeal to Caesar when he went to Caesarea? I think because Paul said, God has something for me in Jerusalem. God has something for me here. And he waited and waited and worked and worked and worked. And then when he he saw he was going back into the same trap, he said, no, I won't do that again. I think God is through with me here. I'm going to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. God bless him. In verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Read this carefully. What is the power of God and salvation? Our faith. No, 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 no. Our faith has no power. Oh, it accesses something, but it has no power. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. That's faith there. That's an acceptance of it. For the Jew first. Also to the Greek. Sometimes we do miss that. We forget the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial and resurrection. That's the gospel, First Corinthians 15. And he said, that is what I'm not ashamed of. On Mars Hill, you'll remember, Paul preached, lectured, if I can use the word, to all those philosophers. They listened to him. They were interested in this man who was telling them things they never heard. But he came around to the resurrection of Christ and then they cut him off. Acts 17, they stopped him. They will not hear of that anymore. Somebody said Paul made a mistake when he started talking about that. No, he didn't either. He said it because it's the truth and he had to 
had to be said. I want you to look at Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I do have that on the chart, or I have 20 on the chart. And here's what Paul says. I read this last week, but it's just something we just can't forget. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus came to earth as a man. He was born of Mary. He was born just like you and I were. He had flesh just like we have. He was God, 100%, but he was man, 100%. He did not commit any error, no sin. Jesus could have died and gone back to heaven, died a natural death, gone back to heaven, because he violated no law of God while he was here. The first law that we violate it cuts us off from God, Adam and Eve. How many times did they have to sin before God came down and said, uh-huh, you got a real problem? Just one time. If anybody could be born on this earth and live perfectly for his lifetime, he would go to heaven. Jesus Christ didn't need to die for him. But of course, the truth is nobody can do that. We all have to have the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the point I'm making. He said, I have been, uh, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. He shows the crucifixion of Christ. Why did Christ have to be crucified? For his salvation? Absolutely not. His salvation was guaranteed. He was a perfect man. Why did he have to be crucified? So I wouldn't have to be. So you wouldn't have to be. And Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not me. But Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Concentrate on that verse and look at your daily walk and see how you live. Much, much better than you would if you didn't concentrate on it. Now, I often ask, are you a saint? Answer is yes. Second question, have you been crucified? The answer should be yes. It is yes if you're a Christian. You have been crucified with Christ, as Paul had. Now, I promised you that when I ran into a problem in this book, I would confess it. I have a lot of confessions to make in this book. Verse 17 is not easy. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's in Habakkuk. What in the world does that mean? I know what it means to just shall live by faith. I understand that. But, but the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I can read that in Greek. I know what it says in Greek. It's a very simple statement. It is from faith or out of faith into faith. It is revealed 
out of faith into faith. Literally what the Greek says there. But what does that mean? Well, I'm going to disappoint you. Nobody knows exactly what that means because it is not our terminology. Now, there is a passage in the Bible that I want you to look at, and I do have it on slide. I did make a uh, concession here. I'm so terrible. I want you to look at this passage. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through us, everybody smells God is the idea. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now look at verse 16. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. That's the same thing as from faith to faith, the same terminology there. From death, from the aroma of death to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. The same phraseology. And who is sufficient for these things? The best I can understand, it is an emphatic expression. It is totally, he says up here, seems to me in verse 17, it is totally by faith. Righteousness of God is revealed totally by faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Our living is by faith, period. That's how we live. Down here, death leading to death, totally death. Death leading, life leading to life, totally life. It's just an emphatic statement. Book of Romans is a very complex book. It is the nearest thing we have, I believe, to a Christian theology inspired. But it is a letter. It's a letter written to ordinary people. We think of biblical theology and Christian theology as being a letter written for by scholars for scholars. Brother Rex Turner wrote a book on biblical theology. It's a great book. But he wrote it for preachers, and well, he wrote it for all of us, but preachers and teachers have gained much from that. But Paul writes a book so simple here that it's so complex. He writes the ordinary person. doesn't write to elders, preachers, professors. He writes to the church at Corinth. And if you know anything about them, or excuse me, the church at Rome, if you know anything about them, you know they were very simplistic people. So uh, here we have it uh, as a great book, uh, simple but yet complex. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they may be known of God and, man, and is manifesting them for God has shown it to them for God has shown it to them here is God's wrath we don't think of God as being wrathful we think of him as always holding his temper always being mild mannered never losing himself well he doesn't lose himself and he doesn't lose his temper 
Wrath is something he must have because he is God. He has love. He must have wrath. Anger? Not an uncontrolled anger, just anger. God becomes angry. Just the way it has to be. If God didn't have wrath and anger, he wouldn't be God. It has to happen. The wrath of God is revealed. It's uncovered. It's made bare from heaven against all ungodliness. He's about to get into something here that's very 2023. And unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Stop there just a minute. Do you see the, the challenge of this passage? Since the creation of the world, his Invisible attributes are clearly seen. How can you see anything invisible? Well, you can, of course. And Paul is pointing this out. There's the invisible God. He has invisible attributes. But we have clearly seen them being understood by things that are made, even the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who? Those who don't have the law. Because although they knew not God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the rest of this chapter scares the daylights out of me. But I want you to look at the Old Testament world. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh out against them. Now what part of Abraham was what part of the seed of Abraham was Nineveh? They were not. They were Gentiles. And what did they do when Jonah went and preached them? They repented. The king even in sackcloth and ashes. They did not have the law of Moses. But they knew God. They were wicked people. But they were able to see God, his invisible attributes. And of course, you know the results. They were more righteous than Jonah. They repented and Jonah got mad. Wow. How sad. And the Egyptians. Rahab told the spies, said, we've heard what you did to the Egyptians. We're scared to death here in Jericho. Please spare me. And of course, the spies did. Tell her how to be spared, the, the red cord out her window. And Joshua adhered to that. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Word is morons there. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image of corruptible man, like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things and worshiped and served the creator rather than the creature who is blessed forever. Amen. I like the fact that Paul had to say amen after he said that. He's getting right down to the problem. Not notice, notice the stupidity here. We're going to get into this a little later. But notice, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. 
and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They didn't worship men. They didn't worship birds. They didn't worship animals. They worshiped the image of those things. I don't know how many of you have had an opportunity to travel in the Far East. But I really want to upchuck when I go around the Hindus. I just can't believe them. The images they have, the way they treat their images, the way they bow down to their images the way they're on their knees before their images with funny music playing. I was in one of their temples one time and I sneaked around behind one of the buildings. A lot of those images around there had arms missing. They were broken, heads off and so forth. I said, these are their gods. These are their gods. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 14. Let's look at that for just a little while. Uh, This is about the man who goes into the forest, cuts a tree. You've probably heard that before, but I want to just read a little there and show you the stupidity of humanity. He cuts down cedars for himself. He takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine. The rain nourishes it. That's God's work. The rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. That's what God intended it for. For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a God and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, the carved image. He falls down before it, the carved image, and worships it. Prays to it day and night. And prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for they, for he has shut their eyes. God has shut their eyes, so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, none of them say, nor, there, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And I shall make, and shall I make the rest of, of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Nobody asks that. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? You know, I don't have time to get into this tonight.
But if you ever get sick of watching the news, things that are so obvious to you and me are not obvious to many of our men and women who are supposed to be the brains of our society. I cannot understand it. I hear them talk and I say, this is as clear as day. And they don't understand it. And you know what? I don't think they do understand it. Some of them do, but some of them don't. They've deceived themselves for too long. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. He no longer protects them. He, he lets them have their own way in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies who exchange the truth of God for a lie. For this reason, God has given them up to vile passions, passions that dishonor and disgrace them, venereal diseases, frustration, loneliness, despair, suicide. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, their men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one to another, men with men committed, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. When I lived in Augusta, that's 1980, we had a guy come to the city. He was a Christian who was presenting homosexuality. He had a church in Atlanta. And I thought, not going to mount anything. Listen, folks, I didn't preach for the biggest church in Augusta, but I received calls from that church. Brother Andrews, we... We want to hear this man. He has a, we, we, we need some help. He has some things to say we never thought of, etc. Several kids calling me for things like that scared the daylights out of me. I've never understood how anybody could defend and promote homosexuality. But I heard a Jewish rabbi recently on a talk show that did it. Here's his explanation of it. He said, well, when a person is homosexual just because he wants to be, that's a sin. But when he's made that way, that's the way God wants him to express himself. Oh, man, help me. This is crazy. And as I say these things, please understand that if you have this problem or you know someone who does, I have all the time in the world to talk about that to someone who wants to talk. Because I know people have that that don't want it. I know they like that that don't want to be. And God has something for them. I had a friend not long ago who's not a member of the church. Came to me and she said, James, I have a, a cousin who is in Texas. And uh, he went to his church and they kicked him out. But he went to a church of Christ and said those people helped him. They sat down with him and helped him. And I want you to know I appreciate that. Well, that would happen at West Huntsville too. Someone comes here with any problem. He's trying to deal with our eldership. Our preachers would help him. I know they're waiting on me to ring the bell. I'm going to have to stop here. I don't want to, but I'll do that before I jump on NASA. This is June, you know. Thank you. God bless you. Let's bow for prayer.
Father, thank you for blessing us and caring for us. Thank you for revealing yourself through your book. Thank you for the great book of Romans, for the work that the Apostle Paul did among your people and among the Gentiles and left notes for us, inspired notes, that we can understand better who you are and what you want. Thank you for this class. Thank you for all the saints gathered here, for those in the body of Christ. Bring us back next time for another class. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.